1: Hello, everyone. My name is Dorothy Koshy, and I'm the president of Advanced Benefit Consulting and the host of the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I wanted to welcome everybody to Season 2. I'm really excited to start this season, and I have with me online instead of in person, due, of course, to COVID-19, Ted Flittner, principal of Aditi Group, a technology consulting and IT services firm. Welcome, Ted, and thanks for being with us today to kick off Season 2, Episode 1, even though it is remotely, as most of us are indeed still working from home. So thank you, Ted, and welcome.
2: Ah, Good morning. Thanks for having me, Dorothy. And and yes, I am joining you from my home, my home office, which is probably where uh, most people are who are working today. Yes.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> we've all been stuck in our little shells, stuck in our little homes, and we've been dealing with Zoom meetings and Go-To meetings and Go-To webinars, And we've been dealing with things like the dogs barking in the background and the planes flying overhead and people coming to your door and having to interrupt and, and those types of things. So we're gonna be doing the best we can today to kind of work through all of those situations and uh, trying to give you some helpful hints, hopefully on trying to stay secure while you're working at home. And we'll talk a little bit about COVID-19 in general as well.
2: Yeah, and we'll talk about how to be uh, productive, how to be efficient, um, in addition to that safety and security, really, you know, how to use tools to our advantage. Yeah, so, you know, obviously, we're dealing with COVID-19, Um What's different? Can you tell us how HIPAA applies in COVID-19 disclosures?
1: Sure, sure. Um, Well, basically, HHS has defined very specifically what an employer plan sponsor can and cannot do and what they can disclose and what they can't disclose to employees. Um, The most important thing to remember is that information that's provided to an employer by an employee is generally not subject to HIPAA because it wasn't received, created or maintained by the health plan. And that's the main thing you want to remember is that definitional part of of HIPAA privacy. It must be received, created and maintained by the health plan. So for an example, if an employee tells the employer that they're self-quarantining because of exposure to the virus and therefore it's coming from the employee and not the health plan, um, that would not be subject to HIPAA. However, if the employer receives the information directly from the health plan, for example, they received information, let's say they're self-funded and they get more information than a fully insured plan would and they receive information that says that this person received a COVID-19 test It may not have positive or negative on it, but they were at least tested, that information is coming from the health plan and it would be subject to HIPAA. The bottom line is that employers should treat the information as though it's subject to HIPAA because it's still sensitive personal information. And here in California particularly, we have other laws that come into play here, such as the Confidentiality of Medical Information Act, which requires employers to protect all health information regardless of whether it's created, received, or maintained by the health plan. Therefore employers should always treat their health information as sensitive personal information and apply safeguards to protect it according to state as well as federal laws here. Um, so HIPAA has specific rules to it that says specifically what you can and can't do and gives you guidelines and on uh, creating policies and so forth. So because you've already got that set up, it's just easiest to apply the HIPAA standards to it.
2: Yeah, that's thank you. You know, so what we tend to see a lot of is discussion about uh, somebody had a COVID test. And, you know, so it's, it's kind of a social topic, and it's also this personal private information topic, and it can be related to a business topic. So what about an employer that has someone out, you know, out of the office that had a COVID-19 test, um, is out taking care of a family member or children, et cetera? You know, other employees, you know, might know what's going on. Uh, Can the employer tell the rest of the staff or the people that that specific person that that they've been working with has a COVID-19 test, or has been diagnosed with COVID-19, or maybe has been exposed to COVID-19? How do we deal with those kinds of, you know? Uh, that information.
1: Well, it's actually pretty clear cut here. HIPAA does apply in these situations. HHS came out with guidance almost immediately saying that you should notify other employees that a coworker has been exposed to the virus, but they're telling you not to provide the name or names of the people um, that have had or been exposed to COVID-19 they may figure it out, of course, um, just based on the fact that only one person's been talking about it or one person's been out, but the employer cannot tell them. Now, there might be situations where there are self-disclosures, and if the employee is disclosing it, that's fine, but the employer shouldn't be talking about it in general.
2: Are there any additional laws at play here with COVID-19, or are we really just talking about you know the the standard HIPAA regulations? And if there are any else. Can you tell us about what are those other laws that might be at play? Well,
1: yes. As a matter of fact, um, with COVID-19, there are not only, obviously, the HIPAA and confidentiality in Medical Information Act, um, which we all know about, hopefully, um, but the newer law, which was signed in, in into law back in the spring, um, called the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, or the FFCRA, and that requires employers to provide up to 80 hours of paid sick time uh, if they meet one of the six criteria under FFCRA. So that's 80 hours before their regular PTO time comes into play, and I get that question a lot. Well, can I just deduct it from their paid time off? No, you have to deduct the first 80 hours you know, in addition to the paid time off. So they get 80 hours and if they want to take paid time off after that, then they still have that in their, uh, in their bank of, of paid time off time. So basically the employees eligible for paid sick leave if they're unable to work or telework um, due to COVID-19. And there are six reasons uh, that are pretty publicly stated and on the posters and so forth that the government has uh, said that you have to be posting in your workplace and so forth. But basically um, the six items are you are subject to a federal state or local Quarantine or isolation order, I've been advised by a healthcare provider to self quarantine due to COVID 19, you're experiencing symptoms of COVID 19 and seeking a diagnosis. Um, the employee is caring for an individual who is subject to an order. The employee is caring for their son or their daughter because their schools closed, their daycare is closed, uh, whatever, because of something related to COVID-19 um, or other, you know, similar conditions specified by, you know, the government, the Department of Health and Human Services, the Labor Departments, the Treasury and so forth. It's it's complicated. I'm not going to lie. It's very complicated. There's also extended paid leave available, which is similar to the Family Medical Leave Act. It's up to 12 weeks because of a qualifying need related to a public health emergency. So that's if they're unable to work or telework due to the need to take care of their children due to the closure of their school or their daycare. So there's lots of rules, and I'm not going to try to, you know, go through it all in in, in this podcast. I know we're just kind of highlighting these things, but if you're not familiar with FFCRA, you really need to read up on that law because there are a lot of requirements for employers, posters that have to be posted. You have to do a of tracking Um, there's all kinds of things that are related to that
2: it sounds like you may need like a whole department uh, just to keep track of all these different laws regulations nuances you know you've got a host of different uh, government agencies and you know with any government agency that means lots of regulations yeah lots of details yeah Uh, I don't know how you can keep up with this uh, it, there's a lot to to try to track here.
1: Yeah, there really is. The HR departments working overtime right now, and all, and pretty much every employer out there, and they're probably relying a lot heavily on their brokers and consultants and people like that, like myself, that uh, provide them with information because it's it's crazy ridiculously complicated and and, uh, and it takes a lot of time and, and uh, that's why I had a series of webinars in this in March and April just trying to explain all these uh, to our clients and so forth because it was pretty crazy we brought in our attorney Marilyn Monahan and so forth it was it was pretty complicated. It, now it seems simple because we've been dealing with it for a few months but at first it was it was yeah pretty complicated and pretty crazy. <laughs>
2: well you know with this idea of tracking so much information and kind of you know researching and following up the details uh let me ask you should employers do some things related to due diligence uh, when someone comes in with documents from a medical center or a doctor's office related to one of these leave uh, provisions
1: yeah, they really should because unfortunately, there have been many reports of employees trying to basically work the system and get paid time off um, over and over and over again. We're hearing about this. Uh, people are creating false doctor's notes, um, other types of documents to get that 80 hours, even though they're not sick. Um, they're trying to get away with that. And, um, you know, because the law is so clear that you have to pay them, the, it's really important that the employer knows to double check those types of things. Don't always take everyone at their word because some people are, you know, they say they're so sick and then find on social media, uh, you know, that uh, they were, you know, dancing around with their pool with their friends and and somebody posted it on social media, things like that. So you really have to pay attention to that and look for those false reports um, because they cost the employer a lot of money. It's not just the 80 hours, which is very, very, very expensive. Now there are tax credits that come along with that, but still they have to put the money out up front and pay the employee that 80 hours and that's expensive. It's not just those direct costs of payroll, but it's also things like they have to shut down. The office. When someone has said that they're out um, because they they were they have COVID-19, if they were exposed to things in the office, if they touch things, if they were around people, they have to shut down for days and longer. Sometimes, sometimes weeks to clean everything. Um, You know that that stuff's really expensive to do. Coming up with new policies, figuring out who they were in contact with, you know, contact tracing, that stuff's very, very time consuming. So I know that CNN and other news outlets have been reporting that the FBI Office of Private Sector, yes, they have one of those, um, they notified uh, private industry that they should be on the lookout for these fraudulent doctor's notes and falsified documents. um, Because those things, sometimes they, sometimes employ, let's face it, Ted, you and I have seen this kind of stuff before. Sometimes they don't, they don't look at the way they're supposed to do, just like on the electronic world that you deal with. They don't look the, quite right, right? So they should be applying those same things they, they think about in IT with, with this sort of thing, with written documentation as well, because look to see if it's on the official letterhead of the medical facility. And then another good thing to do is actually call the number that's on that letterhead and make sure it's indeed the medical facility, because it could be putting their kid's phone number on that letterhead just to have another number that's not theirs Um, and you know you want to check it and see and make sure that that is really truly I'm not saying that you're calling to find out was my employee there you can't do that but you can at least do some due diligence call the numbers find out if it's truly the medical facility and then um, take a look at the the inconsistencies and in things like the fonts the spacing um, any signs that a document has been edited uh, computer editing or even what I, this is one that I've seen recently was actually someone used you know the old white out. They actually used whiteout and whited out a big section, and then they hand typed it in it, with with it looked like a manual typewriter, the old fashioned typewriters. Um, seriously, I mean, someone tried the to get old it away school. From, I old, love it. Very old school. And then they just made a photocopy of it and turned that in. Um, I'm sorry, but you've got to look at these things. And unfortunately, some departments, HR departments, might get really super busy, and they may just take it and throw it in a file. You can't do that, really. Right now, you need to take a look at it and make sure that it's indeed um, a legitimate type of uh, notice. Uh, legitimate type of medical report
2: yeah yeah kind of um, holding that principle of um, kind of um, cautiously politely questioning everything <laughs> you know and and that's really what I do you know when we talk about like spam and right. you know a lot of these kind of cyber threats it's really questioning everything you know does that look legit right you know because it you know as you highlighted there's this exponential effect if you know if someone you know does have this diagnosis has this um, designation, then there's that exponential effect on the office of, you know, all the cleansing, all of the hygiene, all of the checks, you know, it just, there's a whole lot of effort that has to go into place, you know, so it really behooves you to do some more due diligence.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, so, you know, where can people go to get more information? You've got so many, you know, rules, regulations, so many different government departments.
1: Yeah, and the good news is there's a lot of information out there. The bad news is there's a lot of good information out there. So it's all over the place, and people are like, I'm going crazy. Where am I supposed to get this? Well, there's stuff posted on the Department of Labor's website, the CDC, of course, the IRS, because of the tax credits for FFCRA and so forth, um, the Department of Health and Human Services. Everybody has information and and sometimes it's overwhelming because people don't know where to go and they're sent all these emails and I know that I'm guilty of this in a good way I guess Uh, since the beginning I've been notifying my clients um, almost daily I was sending out updates since March Um, and every week I'd send them information and I'd send them poster links and this and that throughout this whole time Um, and I think that that got a little crazy, so to help, for example, with our clients, what we did, uh, and I'm now actually um, allowing people to go onto our website and and order that themselves, um, I created a COVID-19 guide, uh, because what I did is take all that information that I gathered since March, um, and everything I'd been sending out to our clients, and I put it all into, a. it's actually like 32 pages, it's not exactly a small guide, but it's all the published articles that I had on this topic, as you know, I've had two two articles on COVID-19, a part one and a part two that were published locally and then were published by California broker. And then also by, um, America's Benefit Specialist, a a national publication. So I have these two articles. I put those in there. Um, I put an article in there, Ted, that you and I worked on on this particular topic that we're talking about today. But more importantly, it's got all the government links. So if you're looking at the electronic copy, you can just click on the link that I put in there. And instead of having to go to 15,000 different websites on your own and trying to find where everything is and doing Google searches and getting, you know, so confused with the FAQs and, you know, all the government guidance and what posters do I have to post? What? What do I not have to post? my guide kind of puts that all together so yes you can do your your own research you can go onto these government websites you can find everything there they've been doing a great job of having everything there but what i try to do is make it a little simpler so basically most employers will be able to just go onto our website advancedbenefitconsulting.com and fill out a questionnaire and and tell us a little bit about who you are what kind of company you are and so forth and then we will uh, send you a complimentary um, copy of our guide Uh, and the great thing too about that is it's, it's it's designed to be an employer guide but there's also helpful information to help you with communicating with your employees um, and you know what you need to do there for example there are links to cal osha um osha and cal osha websites that actually have uh put out guidance on that and manuals on that and samples of you know these are the kinds of things that you should be sending out to your employees um and you know things like educating them with powerpoints and a welcome back letter if they've been off for a while and they're coming back and that sort of thing all of that is covered um with the links that we have uh, within the guide
2: well that's huge value. Uh, that you know that's really what people <laughs> it, it look for that's what I look for in a lot of the resources that I deal with is uh, where can I go to get the um the everything distilled down so I can digest it quickly. Right. Cuz right. there's just so much that's changing so fast and uh you know I appreciate that you keep track of this and, you know, are good at putting it all together in one place. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd like to get a copy of that guide myself.
1: I'll be happy to send you one. I'll send you two. I'll send you a hard copy and electronic copy. How's that? <laughs> I love it. Thank you. <laughs> sure, no problem. Uh, and by the way, we do have hard copies available as well. Those are those do cost because they cost us to print them. But the electronic is what we give away uh, pretty much for most industries, uh, complimentary, on a complimentary basis. Uh, but yeah, I've been trying to do that. I've been trying to just make it as simple as possible because the employers are overwhelmed as it is right now and the employees don't really know what's happening. So all the posters they have to post, like I said, all the notices, everything that they need, um, there's guidance in there and so forth, and it points them all in the right direction. So hopefully that will be helpful. So we've been talking about COVID-19, but I wanna start talking more about the technology side of this because uh, what's happening right now, as we all know, is we're all working from home, um, staring on our computer screens forever. Uh, Employees working from home, there's a lot of risk for employers with that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh yeah, <laughs> a little bit, just
2: a little, yes. you know, a little bit about this. Yeah, yeah. There, there's risk. There's a little bit of risk. This is a really. This is the kind of situation where most IT service uh, professionals are cringing, mm-hmm. uh, wincing, you know, with the idea of people working from home. You know, it, we we kind of always do, uh, but now it's en masse. It's you know, kind of the whole company is working from home, or or the vast majority. You know, and it's um, it's a totally different world because in the office uh, things are controlled, right? Or, or at least they can be controlled. When uh, it's uh, okay, go home, uh, do your own thing. Uh, you know, there's there's so many um, controls that aren't there. There's no boundaries like in the office. Um, so, you know, so just the basics. You know, like the basic shared network that the devices are on at home you know, it's is totally different than the office. You know, at home, you've got all these different users on this shared network, um, and it could be the kids, it could be your Wi-Fi camera, it could be your doorbell, you know, um, in addition to your work computer. Right. There's, you know, dealing with insecure Wi-Fi and, uh, you know, the, um, the opportunity for Wi-Fi hackers to get on. Mm-hmm. There's dealing with vulnerable software and, you know, having dangerous uh, software. That's on computers the the fact that people could be using a work uh, computer or they could be using their own device, um, the fact that um, we have to deal with just even simple basic physical security you know that's uh, that's totally different in the office than at home right um, The ideal of um, how do we control access or how do we deal with what's called unauthorized access. You know, in the office, you, you can see the faces. You know, there's, it's, we we can control so much of it at home. You know, all those all those um, rules have gone away. All bets are off. So we need to have certain you know tools and techniques in place um, to reduce those risks. You know, um, there's other common issues like file sharing, and you know, it's so tempting to use email to send data around, and you know, email is not secure. Right. You know, so there's. There's there's a lot of issues for us to, uh, to think about, you know, and others that you know, we can delve into in detail here, uh, but let me just highlight, you know, there's those, there's the there's the Zoom calls and the phone calls that you do outside.
1: Yeah, just out a in few. Public. Do you know Do you know if that one day last week, in one day, I was on seven Zoom calls? I mean, at the end of the day, I wanted to throw that computer right out the window because I was so tired yeah. of being on Zoom calls. Yeah. And
2: it, and if you're not the only one at home, then you know you're you're doing some of those zoom calls with somebody else doing a zoom call mm-hmm. and at some point you're like okay I'm just going to go outside to the back patio and do a zoom call I and mean, we're we're here in beautiful right. california southern california with open windows and beautiful weather and you know how many how many meetings can you listen to by just sitting outside
1: yeah and then and then when when you're outside you've got the dogs barking and your wi-fi signal is fading and and you're in and out and you're you're what you're you're talking to your boss and what they're hearing is bleh, bleh, because your wi-fi is crazy
2: All Right. so you've got you're dealing with how effective is your is how, how how effective and productive it is and also how secure it is right and when we talk about hipaa you know we're always talking about um minimum necessary you're only sharing information with those who have a need to know and when I go outside and I talk about things on a speakerphone all of my neighbors are in the meeting right and they don't have a need to know right so these are things that we we really don't think about but it's really easy for this stuff to spill out into the private sector you know or excuse me from the private sector into into that public sector and these are all things that we have to deal with um, unlike in the office right
1: yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Well, let's let's break this down a little bit. Let's first talk about shared networks because you mentioned that. Why are these dangerous and how do you fix it?
2: Okay, well, like in most homes, the whole family and all the devices, uh, when I say devices, I'm thinking, you know, think Alexa, think the Wi-Fi enabled TV, refrigerator, uh, doorbell camera, um, you know, the, the game box, all those things. All those computers, all those devices, all the cell phones that are on Wi-Fi at home, they're all in the same core shared network. Mm-hmm. And the danger of having things on the same network is you know what a hacker does, whether it's in a trying to hack a huge corporation or you know a, a smaller home situation, once they get into one device, once they get on that network, they can move sideways and try to get, you know, access to all the rest of the devices. And uh, 99% of the time, that's going to be without the knowledge of anybody that someone is trying to hack onto those devices. So it's, you know, get in one door and then look for more open doors. And what hackers do, they're going to case the joint before they steal anything. Right. That's what, they, that's what they do when they hack into Sony. That's what they do when they hack into these big corporations. Same thing. They they get in the door, they look at where else they can get into, and so if your work computer has sensitive information, whether it's HIPAA, whether it's customer data, whether it's financial information, trade secrets, strategic business plans, whatever it is, um, you know your business information's not um, generally meant to be posted on Facebook, yeah. or published to the world, right. you know much less in the hands of people who are going to use use it for credit fraud for use any of those medical records to create credit fraud you know so um, on your network may also be your home computer that has your personal taxes your bank records your health records all those photos that you kind of like to keep private off of facebook you know, um, oh, people those are have the those things you want to protect. People have those, <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. I, I don't, <laughs> I delete all. <laughs> but you know, then you've got those smart devices the, the door camera, you know, the uh, baby monitor, the nanny cam, tablets, and so on. Um, those are all in Wi Fi control, so right, whatever's, whatever's the weakest link in the chain, um, can be the entry to you know a big, um, a big breach. Um, so you know, what do we do? Um, That's what one, I'm asking you. I, what do we do? Yeah, yeah one, one thing I do want to interject here is, you know, you may be thinking, you know, nobody cares about me. They're not going to go to the trouble of targeting me. I'm not a target. Um, well, you're also not a target of spam either. They're not looking to target Dorothy. They're, they're looking to target anyone. And just like spam, um, you can you can set up a program and you can just ping every IP address, and an IP address internet protocol, every internet connection has an IP address. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not like they have to know your name or anything complicated. Every IP address is just a set of numbers and it's in a worldwide standard format. So they can just run through the list and ping on every IP address, um, just like sending out spam. They can just send it out. There's no human effort involved. You just set up a program light and get away and you know so they're they're knocking on your door and if they find an open port you know there's a program that they could be running that could try to get in and and try to hack once they're in a door they'll look say okay that all sounds bad yeah it does <laughs> yeah. that's all sounds scary but there are some straightforward solutions you know and um, the ideal solution here is to create what's called separate networks or separate virtual networks and the technical term for that is a VLAN, a virtual local area network, and a VLAN is basically you're using the same you know wires in the in the house and so on. Um, you're using the same you know routers, but you've got a, a piece of hardware called a managed switch, and with that managed switch, there's some sophisticated software on there, and it allows you to set up basically set work separate virtual networks so you could have one just for business mm-hmm. you could have one for your family and play you could have one just for the kids yeah you could have one for guests and you could even have one just for those smart devices and once you create those virtual networks um, those devices cannot communicate with each other uh, they're 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 literally it's just like having them connected to a separate you, you know a whole separate network right um, and so that's that's something that's uh, done with the managed switch.
1: Yeah, because um, let's face it, anybody that has kids at home, what what's the first thing that happens when when uh, I mean, the good news is, I guess to some extent, is that they're a little bit sheltered from this now because everybody's staying home. But um, the first thing happens, the kids walk in and their friends join them, and the first thing they ask for is what's your Wi-Fi password, right? And you don't know what they're what what they're getting into while they're sitting in the other room, and and you know. But now it's it's instead of being in person in your home, they're they're obviously with them on a Zoom meeting or something like that. So it's something that, you know, businesses have to think about when they're, you know, we don't have a choice. I mean, a lot of businesses have to work from home right now, so we don't have a choice. So, it's good to have this information.
2: Yeah, um, and you you've got so much at risk here. Yeah. You, know, you you've you've got basically all the all of your business information at risk and it's beholden on you to take the steps to um, to protect that. And right. you know, if you're dealing with things like HIPAA, if you're dealing with mental health, for example, you know, where where the requirements of HIPAA are even more extreme, you know, you've, you've got a responsibility to take the steps you can to reduce and eliminate these risks.
1: Right, right. You mentioned Wi-Fi hackers. What can you do to protect yourselves from, from those entities?
2: Yeah, and again, it's one of those things where, you know, it's more common than you think. Um, And it's a whole lot more available and easy than you think. Mm -hmm. You know, if you just turn on uh, Wi-Fi on your phone or on your, you know, device and you search for available networks, you know, you can see your neighbors. Mm -hmm. And usually you can see five, six, ten, you know, networks, and you can bet if you can see theirs, they can see yours. Right, right. And you have, uh, you know, most of us, we're we're dealing with this at home. We're dealing with a Spectrum or an AT&T or a Cox, um, you know, Internet connection, Internet provider. You've got that hardware from them. And that hardware, that router, that Wi-Fi router that you got from them or the one that you bought from, you know, Fry's, Mm -hmm. um, those are not set up to tell you that someone is attempting to log on to your Wi-Fi network, yeah, and those have some security um, options that you can set, but they're not set out of the box, and they're complicated, and sometimes those settings can um, actually, you know, make it really a hassle to use your own network. So that's you know not always the ideal way to go, even if you're tech savvy and know how to set that up.
1: But, I, I'm not um, tech savvy. I just turn it over to you and say fix it. I just set it up yeah, for me properly. Right. I just I just like Ted we, help.
2: <laughs> that's exactly right. You know, so there's a there's a couple things we can we can do here. Um, number one, set up strong passwords. You know, don't use your home address, your zip code, your phone number, your your name. Your kids' birthdays. You know, Kids' birthdays, you know, don't do those things that are obvious for all of your neighbors who are, <laughs> who do know you, mm-hmm. and for anybody who could, you know, figure it out. Um, so, number one, make a strong password. Um, number two, put in a hardware firewall. Now, this is different than uh, some of those software feature that that you might have from your Wi-Fi router. You know, if you are kind of a tech savvy person, you may look at your Wi-Fi router and say, oh, there's some there's some firewall settings here. This is not the same thing as a hardware firewall uh, and a hardware firewall is much more secure. And really what it's doing, it's it's um, it's like a guard that's guarding your network at the at the front door and preventing unwanted traffic from coming in. Mm-hmm. And it's also checking um, it can be set to you know monitor traffic going out and traffic going out means hey is there, a, is there a whole lot of data going to this website that normally it doesn't go there it, that's an indicator that someone broke in and they're right. you know they're taking all the tvs you know taking all your electronic stuff to one site
1: right and they're not and they're not very expensive these hardware um these hardware
2: firewalls are not very expensive at all correct it, well it depends on the size so it depends on you know how many devices you know that you're going to have at home so like kind of the, the size of your network um you know from our business, uh, we have solutions that start at $20 a month, where you don't even have to buy it. We we give you the equipment, and we set it up, and we configure it. And at the most basic, um, you know, because there, there's, a, there's a couple levels of, of system, one's the, you know, full-on hardware firewall, and then a step down from that is something that is not all the same capabilities, but it's basically an alert system. Mm-hmm. And that alert system is saying, hey, you just got a new device that checked into your onto your network and it alerts you. It can send alerts to your phone, you know, little app and notices so you can find out, hey, you know, a new device just checked on and nobody came in over to the house. So what's up with that? And it gives you the ability to shut them off, kick them off the network, you know, to block them and so on. And both the hardware firewall and, you know, that just a little bit lower kind of capability um, option, both of those give you the option of creating your own private vpn Mm -hmm. vpn you've heard this before in the office virtual private network Uh, basically a vpn creates a private tunnel so that all of the data that's going to you and coming you know uh, going from you and and, and coming to you through the internet is through this you know encrypted tunnel um, where all the data is being encrypted Mm -hmm. And, and that comes with one of these hardware firewalls it comes with um, the other option I mentioned um, so you have your own private VPN mm-hmm. that you can use at home for securing your connection while you're on Wi-Fi and it, you can also use it when you happen to be out and about and say so you go to Starbucks right and you're on public Wi-Fi heaven heaven um, forbid no, no one connection.
1: would ever go to Starbucks and log into their
2: Wi-Fi <laughs> No one ever does yeah. that. Yeah, I mean that's that's the main reason why people you know work at Starbucks right. as opposed to just sitting in the drive-through. Right. You know, and, and there's other the other option is a software uh, VPN subscription service, and those typically cost less than hundred dollars a year for the the software method. And they're quick and easy to set up, and and they are secure.
1: Yeah, it, it like I said none of those are none of those seem to be very expensive. I mean, when you're when you're a business, I know you might have a lot of employees, but if it's your data that's out there and you want to protect it, this all seems fairly inexpensive. Um it it seems to be the best way to go in my opinion. I would I would not have a problem investing, you know. A small amount like that per, but again, it adds up. Um, So some of them are going to be looking at if people have a lot of employees at home, they're going to probably want to look at something system wide. If they have individual smaller companies or individuals that are working at home, um, then then you know there are different types of solutions that are available um, for you know different scenarios.
2: Yeah, there's a, there's really a lot of options and there's there's no one perfect solution for everybody it really comes down to the business when if the business you know is of a certain size they may set up um some kind of a vpn from the office and you know they may you, you they may be supplying um, a business laptop or a business computer you know and they may set that up where you've got a direct connection. With, through a VPN, you've got a direct connection right to your file server in the office, right to those resources.
1: And I know that you've always you've always said that uh, in our HIPAA trainings and so forth, you've always been a firm believer that whenever you can um, possibly do it, it's always better uh, and more protected. Obviously, to have the company provide the uh, th- the laptops, the tablets, and all the devices and so forth, if, if that's possible, because you can control it a lot better.
2: Oh yeah, that's you know that's the way to go from the perspective of security Mm -hmm. there's an additional cost yeah you know what you're doing is you know if you're letting people bring their own devices you know then you're letting them bear some of the uh, the cost of the hardware but you you've got the cost of the risk of what happens when you know something a breach happens and data gets out there Um, you've got that cost and when you're dealing with other people's devices, you've got to deal with all the software they put on, all the choices they make, mm-hmm. and that's something that's that's really um, there's a lot of vulnerabilities, a lot of dangers there.
1: Okay, well, this is all really great information. Uh, also on your list uh, was vulnerable software. What do you mean by that, and what can be done to correct it?
2: Uh, well, every software program, you know, once it gets out into the wild, it gets known, and as bugs become you know known about by hackers become known about even by software makers themselves there's usually a period between the knowing about the vulnerability and the patching of it and and so what we're dealing with at home unlike in the office where you've got maybe the IT department that's on top of things and and has you know just a specific white list of programs you've got old operating systems you know maybe you've got an XP machine mm-hmm. a Windows XP maybe you've got Windows 7 which is now no longer supported by microsoft
1: isn't that crazy <laughs> it wasn't that long ago
2: yeah, it, it, it seems like it wasn't that long ago it was only you know 10 years ago but um that kind of seems like a blink and even though these these may be still very you know functional value you know software um, versions it's not pro it's not supported by the makers anymore so hipaa says you cannot use that because there may be vulnerabilities that are are open and out there, mm-hmm. um, and there's other programs, you know, like um, multiplayer games. I mean, this is this is the kind of nightmare for it's, you know, it experts, security experts, multiplayer games, um, the search toolbars, you know, the the Google toolbar, the Yahoo toolbar, those kinds of things. They leave open ports, which are like an open window on the side of the house, for people to you know, look for those open ports and hack their way in. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so if you've got an old device, you've got an old iPad, you know, that's, you know, maybe out of date, um, once a hacker knows what devices are on the network and, and once you get access to the network, they can scan it, they can scan the devices, they can look for what versions um, uh, of firmware and so on around those devices, and they can be running, you know, different exploits that are known about. Right. And, you know, kind of like spam, you can do this with, with programs, hacking programs, and so you don't have to put a lot of manual effort into it. You know, so um, that's what you're dealing with with the home software. Mm-hmm. And you may also be dealing with, you know, the free antivirus, you know, and uh, the free antivirus programs, you know, there's a reason why they're free. There's not as much resource going into uh, making them robust and keeping them as up to date as a paid antivirus, anti malware and those are the you know it's it's through virus malware spam that's where you know the hackers are getting in the door yeah yeah
1: okay let's talk about the kid factor everybody's sharing networks and if they have kids they're (laughs) sharing them with the kids so why do employers need to be aware of this and how should they be training their employees when they have kids at home
2: yeah yeah a kid factor i mean the kid factor is all about judgment that's really the bottom line Kids don't weigh any risks. Well, you know? What do you
1: mean What are you saying, kids? Kids, what What are you saying? Are you <laughs> saying that their kids aren't perfect and they have? They... Well,
2: we've uh, we've all been kids. I was a kid, and uh, you know, uh, as a kid, you don't you don't think about the ramifications really of anything, right? And for the most part, the kids, you know, the the, the kids don't have to deal with um, the problems. You know, hey, if they if that. Um, um, device gets some malware on it, give it to mom and dad. You know, they don't have to deal with it. And, and you know, it's not their, it's not their, you know, financial, they don't care about financial information, all those things, you know, and there's been so many uh, generations now that are really brought up with these devices that, you know, uh, young people are just accepting of all the latest apps. Mm-hmm and the latest things that have, you know can be downloaded yeah. and you know this
1: yeah i you know, know that they they they're doing the, they they basically do the can i have access to your contacts can i access to your photos can i have access and they're just saying yes 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 they don't even read it they're just automatically clicking yes 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 yes
2: yes because they've never been burned before mm-hmm. you know they haven't they haven't had enough years on the planet to have been burned by these things or to know about what the what's really at stake and you know this if you have kids and you've got an old tablet an ipad You know, you leave them alone for, you know, a few hours, you know, a few minutes sometimes. And you you grab that thing and you're like, hey, what are these new apps that are on here? Mm -hmm. How long have these been on here? And as you said, a a lot of times those apps, the first thing they want to do is they want to go to your contact list. Mm -hmm. And we ask ourselves, why is it that we have so much spam? (laughs) Right, Right,
1: exactly. You know,
2: the the kids are not asking, are these programs safe? Are they they secure? Are they loaded with malware? You know, and I, I... you know, a great example is you know the flashlight apps. Right. You know, uh, you know a few years back, you know before, you know phones started putting a default you know a button on there to turn it on. You know the light as a flashlight. You download the app, and there were so many apps, even on the Apple Store, mm-hmm. and Apple's you know meant to be, you know the the great scrutinizer. There were so many apps on there that had malware, and it just really a lot of stuff was was really deployed widely. From innocuous programs like a, um, a flashlight app.
1: Yeah, and it seems so innocent. It seems so innocent to download a flashlight. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, so yeah. that so that kid factor, you know, it, it goes back to um, wow. If if that kind of thing is on my network, <laughs> if the kids are doing that on those devices, I don't want to. I don't want them working on my device. Right. If they're on the same network, I don't want them on the same network. Yeah. Whether it's the Wi-Fi side or whether you know they're connected into you know the um, an actual device with a, a wire on it, you're on the same network unless you're creating those virtual private networks. Let's separate those things out.
1: Right. Well, we've talked a, a bit here about uh, people coming in from the outside. How do you protect yourself as an employer with employees working at home against you know all this unauthorized access that we're talking about?
2: Yeah, hackers understand that employees are the weakest link in an organization's security. And that's why like 98% of cyber attacks rely on some kind of social engineering and that kind of you know that costs companies billions of dollars a year you know so we're dealing with unauthorized access how do we ensure that the person who is trying to get to these resources these files you know this program this device whatever it is is really the person that we think it is mm-hmm. you know you think about when people come into the office. If it's you know, it's, if it's a large, very large business, you've got ID cards, you've got photo IDs, you've got somebody, you know, running security at the front door, saying, "Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, ma'am, you're not allowed in because you don't have a badge, or you're going to have to step over here and talk to security and, and you know, get an escort." We're all at home. There's no there's no security officers out here, right? Um, and so we're we're basically in an office that. Um, we're blind to who who's actually out there trying to log in and you know we can kind of tie back to frank abignail junior from catch me if you can yeah you know that that great movie you know he he was able to basically uh, forge people's identities in the 60s you know by using his his keen observation skills he said what he did back then and he got you know millions and millions of dollars that that he um he basically absconded with um, he said that's ten thousand times easier today, right? And you can do it, do it from anywhere in the world because you know you don't have I don't have to physically go right and and try and get the information. You know, so to protect against unauthorized access, you know it's it's really important. Um, there's a couple ways we do this. you know number one, use strong passwords. You know, it is it's almost criminal how many people use weak passwords and even administrators, you know, uh, in administrative um, accounts that still don't use very strong passwords. You know, so using something that's got a lot of characters, using upper lowercase, special characters, that whole mix. And again, no family names, no pet names, you know, no birthdays, no
1: password and and password one. I still see that at companies all the time when I go in. I still see people using their password on everything. It's password or password one.
2: It's, it's so take take that extra moment, take that extra minute or so, and set up a real password. And, you know, the second part of this is um, two-factor authentication. Um, and then I'll talk about, you know, how do we remember all these things? So the, the second part is two-factor authentication, two-factor means... Um, it's something that I know. That's my username and password, and then something I I control, which is either my phone. The, it's going to get a text message, or it's going to have an app that gets a you know a special code that I have to put in, or it's going to be a key that I stick into say the USB slot on my computer. Um, each of those it's called a second factor. That's that's um, adding one more thing to try and ensure that it's really you and not somebody who's faking it. You know so. Um, sometimes it's called multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. I recommend using it as much as possible. Um, it's a little bit more of a hassle because it's like one more thing to tap your finger on. Yeah. but you know, that extra tap um, could save you you know millions of dollars in in um, not having somebody get into your account.
1: Right. Um, and, and, and people sometimes use the same password, even if it's a complicated password they, they use that same password for everything.
2: Yeah, and why do we do that? Because you know, because we can only remember so many things, right. and we've we've got hundreds of accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, for somebody like me, I'm dealing with thousands and thousands and thousands of passwords. You know, for for myself and all of my all of our clients, right. and there's no physical way for me to remember all those things and to 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 think of secure passwords. So how do I do it? I use a password keeper. You know, I have an I have we I use several different um, encrypted uh, password um, software systems, and you know the one that we recommend the most is, is something like LastPass, which you can access from any online device. Mm-hmm. You can get there, and it encrypts your data, and it's set up so that even the the employees of LastPass cannot read your data. It's it's using complex uh, methodology called zero knowledge, so that you put your um, complex passwords in there, um, you log into your account. Um, And and with that, you want to have a strong password and you want to use multi-factor authentication to make sure it's you logging into your password account. And then um, a lot of these things, if they're websites, then it's just a click and go. And you click it, it opens up a tab, it, you know, goes right to the login field, puts in your data for you. So it actually makes it easier, you know, to even navigate. And it means that you can actually use smart, secure passwords. And... One of the best features of this, this really goes to this working at home thing and um, managing a workforce is with something like LastPass, you can share passwords with multiple users mm-hmm. and you can do it in very kind of sophisticated ways. And you can even share passwords so that the user doesn't even know what the what the credentials are. They just have a link. They click on it. Boom, boom, boom. It logs them in. And it allows everybody to always be on the same updated password and you know what it's like yeah hey you know one person made a change and now the rest of the staff can't log in they're like who changed it what is it right right change it back you know yeah so that's that's really the the key is is um strong passwords that you don't put on post-it notes that you don't make easy (laughs) right and 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 recycle them, and you use multi-factor authentication.
1: Yeah, that's all very good advice. I know we've been talking a lot about technology here, but let's kind of go back to the basics. Um, let's talk physical security for just a moment. I know it sounds old-fashioned, but why is that still important?
2: Well, because we go back to the fact that there's not a security guard standing out in front of your office, um, you're at the home office, right. and you've got people coming and going. You've got, you know, all kinds of. Uh, you've got the pizza guys coming and going. You've got the Amazon truck coming and going. You've got the neighbors. You've got the landscapers. You've got all these people you know who could have access to your house you've usually not to mention not to mention all the food delivery people yeah that's right <laughs> and and you've got the windows open cuz it's southern california yeah. you've got you know and if you've got family members then you've got the kids you've got you know various people sharing the house and they're not working for the same company so they're not they're not having the same you know focus in mind of protecting your you know your business things you know so physical security is important and it's important for a couple of reasons you know one of those is the obvious one of breaking and theft mm-hmm. and so if you've got you know your work computer or you're working from your home computer you know if that thing is not encrypted you know with something like full disk encryption then the data that's on there can be you know viewed by any thief Mm -hmm. and you say hey I've got a you know what about my Windows password you know what about my password to log on to my machine unless it's it's fully encrypted you know I can just take that hard drive out and I can attach that as an external drive and I can read it Mm -hmm. you know I don't I don't need your Windows password to read your data right you know so that's why HIPAA says data at rest has to be encrypted right so you know that's that's one factor and and the other factor is it goes back to what we were just talking about with unauthorized access um it's tempting it, it can be tempting and you may think yeah you know there's not really that much that's that sensitive on my computer or you know i'm only walking away from my computer for you know a little bit maybe mm-hmm. i'm just going to run out to the grocery store which turns into maybe two hours or three hours or or longer you know it can be sometimes too tempting mm-hmm. for anybody who may be at home even those who are you know supposed to be at home for them to you know look at what's on your computer and remember let's go back to HIPAA you know minimum necessary your family members are not <laughs> the part of that minimum necessary circle of people who are allowed to to see that data yeah you know and you know Dorothy you can remind us of that very first HIPAA uh, prosecution case you know working at home yeah exactly
1: Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, there was a case early on, before HIPAA was even signed into law, there was a state case uh, in which a woman was working um, for a company, and she took her... uh payroll records home Her wanted to do her job at home she wanted to do a great thing for her employer she's gonna go on vacation for the first time in forever it seemed like and she says I want to make sure all these pension contributions are posted properly uh, before I go on vacation and when you're at home you think you're safe and and um, (laughs) unbeknownst to her her daughter um, decided that she was going to (laughs) steal that information and she sold it on the street and there was a lot of identity theft that occurred and so forth and and yeah it was pretty sad it was before HIPAA but it was a case that set a lot of precedents and basically said that she could no longer work in her industry. Um, her daughter was prosecuted, she was prosecuted, and she was held the, and not only was she liable, but her employer was also held liable for allowing her to take the information home. And all she was trying to do is be a good employee before she went on vacation and get some work done to make sure that no one had to worry about, you know, putting in pension contributions. But when you're talking about something like that, you're talking about a um, You know, you're talking about payroll information, uh, salary information, social security numbers. You're talking about all kinds of things that go along with pension contributions. Um, So she was trying to be a good employee and do the right thing, um, and her daughter was not doing the right thing, of course. And, uh, yeah, she could no longer work in the industry or anything with that kind of access, and, um, you know, her employer was, was held liable as well. So it was a pretty sad situation.
2: Yeah, so as an employer, do you want to take that kind of risk? Yeah. And and even as a say as a parent, do you want to do you want to have that kind of temptation hanging out there, you know? And and really and truly, the best way to deal with this is to take the temptation away. Right. You know, make sure that when you step away from that computer, you either shut it down or you lock that keyboard. You know, you make it so that um, you know you ask your I T department if you can set up multi-factor authentication so that when you log in your computer, you know you use a second step to authenticate. Right. Uh, you know. Um, so there's the there's the obvious, you know, physical security of, of break-ins and theft, and there's the one that, you know, we kind of, you know, we really don't maybe want to think about, but it's the reality that... <laughs> Your friends if, and if family a,
1: can, can, can steal things from you?
2: It's a shared home, yeah. you know, if it's a shared place, right? Yeah. And, and if you've got the doors open, you've got the windows open because it's summertime. You know, it's it's just so easy. So avoid those temptations. Right.
1: Well, we've been um, talking a lot about this, and we have some good, solid ideas for protecting your company from some of the risks at home. Let's talk a little bit now about the actual work that people are doing. What are some of the technology tools that can help employers? You know, when they're, uh when their staff is working at home. <sighs>
2: Yeah, I mean that's the the thing that we try to focus on with ADT is um not only privacy and security but about performance. How do we how do we enable this technology that you know we're we're trying to secure? How do we enable it to also give you an advantage of making life easier, more um you know, efficient? And so, you know, I mentioned a few minutes ago the password sharing with LastPass. That's definitely one of those, you know, cuz when you're outside the office, you can't just you know, pop your head up over the cubicle and say, "Hey, you know, Dorothy, what's that information? Where is it? Hey, can you hand it to me? Right. Um, where is it on the on the H drive or the N drive on the on the you know on the on the file server? Um, you know, so the password sharing tool like that. You know, the once you start using that functionality, you, you think to yourself, "Oh my goodness, why didn't I never? Why have I not been using this right. all these years? Right. Same thing with file sharing. You know, file sharing in the network." Um, You know, in in the office, on that file network, on that shared drive, you know, once you start using that at work, you're like, "Wow, this is wonderful." Mm -hmm. We we want to keep using that. When you're outside the office, unless you're using a VPN to your office file system, then you maybe want to use something like, you know, Dropbox for business. Maybe you want to use Box. Maybe you want to use Sharefile, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that you have common places and you're not using email to send stuff around. Right. You know, email is not secure. Email is like sending a postcard. So unless you encrypt that file and then attach it, it's available to be read by any any of those um, spots along the way um when where your data goes through the internet, you know your internet is not you know a connection directly from you know my house to your house mm-hmm. it's it's hopping through all these different kinds of nodes along the internet, and any of those nodes along the way have the ability to read it um in, like a postcard, yeah, just like anybody who's who's you know delivering your postcard can read your you know your vacation letter right so file sharing services you want to use those, and you want to use those you know, not just for, you know, the company side, but also from the customer to you side. Mm-hmm. You know, tell your, you know, tell your customers, you know, to use your, you know, file upload, you know, through share file or something that you could set up on your website. Um, even through that Dropbox file request function. So that you're using that instead of saying, hey, just go ahead and email that to me, mm-hmm. you know, emailing that to you, it, it's not secure. And there's size limits. So if somebody yeah. is sending you something really large, you know, they're sending you a bunch of scans a video, you know, it's not going to make it through email.
1: And when you're dealing with file sharing, you can also put secondary layers of protection on as well because I know that in our office we have certain, um, certain things that, you know, aren't. They're sensitive, but they're not highly sensitive. So what we do is we have our normal file share uh, folders, um, and then we have which is cloud-based, and then we have a secondary layer, uh, which we put, I think it was Sukasa, I think you put on, um, and that basically double encrypted everything so that, you know, the most sensitive of the sensitive information we basically have to log into the Sukasa file, let's say, to be able to get into that information. So, um, you know, there's more than one level of this, too. I just wanted to comment about that because if you're using... you know, something people worry, well, is Dropbox safe or is it not safe? Uh, it depends how you set it up, right? And it depends what you do and whether you're using the business version or the personal version and wh- whether or not you, you know, if you're, you've still got sensitive data that you want protected more, um, you can put a secondary layer on. I just wanted to make that point as well.
2: Yeah, and that secondary layer uh, that you're talking about here is is basically pre-encrypting your data mm-hmm. so that before it leaves your computer and goes into Dropbox box, um, you know, Google Drive, right? Um, Microsoft, you know, OneDrive, you know, any of those, any of those tools, whether it's Sukasa or Box you know, one of those kind right. of software programs. What it's doing is it's encrypting it before it goes into those services, and so it's adding an le- extra layer of uh, security and, and can be privacy. Right. You know, so maybe, maybe you're you're not concerned that you know with with Dropbox the files are encrypted in storage on their side, but you know I want to make sure that Dropbox staff can never see my stuff right and, you know why do you care about that well you care about that because uh services are are breached you know we had this uh, facebook breach right <laughs> just uh what a, what a week or so ago you know where where all these you know high profile accounts were you know hacked and um how did they get hacked they didn't actually log into the individual they didn't hack into the individual accounts of these um, high profile people yeah they hacked into the system at the kind of Uh, system administrator level. So when the administrator has level, has access to the accounts, has access to the data, even if they're not supposed to be using it from a day-to-day basis, you know, it's not their job, but they have the ability to get in there, that's what you're talking about, protecting your your data from, you know, that happening with something like Sukasa or Boxcryptor. It's a pre-encryption, you know, function. So, you know, that's always available and another thing I want to add to this with file sharing is you can set passwords on you know file shared folders. you can set passwords on individual files um, so that uh, you can say here's a read-only access you know cloud storage folder in Dropbox send you know your, your people a link to it, your customers a link to it they can read it. you can also put an expiration date on that so that it's only available for so long. You can uh, put a password on individual files or the whole folder, mm-hmm. and you can also, you know, actually share it so it's two-way. You know, they'll have to get a Dropbox account, but that in that way, they can put files in, you can put files in. You know, so a lot of functionality there, and you really want to explore it, and you want to explore how to make it safe. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. And then of course, you know, video conferencing—we're all pretty, pretty. <laughs> yeah,
1: we're all doing that. That's all we're doing. Yeah.
2: in that. <laughs> yeah, we've been doing that for everything. You know. Um, yeah, video conferencing, audio conferencing, and the key with that is, you know, are you setting up securely, and are you being private? Right. Um, well, they did, they did. Like... The, the
1: FBI, for example, the FBI put out fairly quickly um, because of all the Zoom calls that were going on. They put out good guidance uh, right away in saying that, you know, there are things you can do, have passwords to your meetings, you can set up um, – uh what do you call it uh where they're they're sitting there waiting for you to set up a green room
2: yeah set up the green room, they have, yeah. the green room. Yeah. So they have to be invited in invited in yeah mm-hmm.
1: so that's mm-hmm. that's that's a helpful way to do it that way you're not getting the people bombing your meetings and, and and saying you know you can control that you just have to oh another thing i want to mention on that is don't put your passwords uh, on social media cuz a lot of people what they were doing was they were actually saying hey we're having a meeting da 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 and they put on social media the the uh the video conference information. So yeah, that's not not that's not a good thing to do. Well, unless
2: unless you want to invite
1: the whole world in, right? Exactly, you know,
2: not a great thing to do. Yeah, and and, and the problem exactly. is is
1: that that sometimes that happens on the employee level, not thinking that management might not have done that, but you know maybe the employee was trying to do a good thing, you know, um, and didn't even realize, Hey, I want to get out to everybody in, you know, um, in, in my team and they all happen to be on my Facebook group. So I'll send it out, whatever. I mean, you don't, sometimes it could be innocent, but it still happens. So you have to train, make sure you train your employees on these sorts of things, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah. That's the key. You know, you, you need to set up things correctly. You need to kind of establish your protocols and then tell people about it. hmm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, So, you know, other things that we can quickly mention here, um, company resources, like if you've got special programs at the office on an office computer, or you've got, you know, a shared network in the office that you really, you know, need to access, then you can set up a VPN and you can, you know, VPN directly to that server. In the office to those shared drives, you could also set up even a you know connection, a remote what's called a remote desktop connection. So you you actually dial into your specific computer that's still in the office, mm-hmm. and and so that way you're running programs that are on that computer and the data stays on that computer, and it doesn't end up at home. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a that's a little more sophisticated way. It takes a little more setup, but. Um, you know, it's it's done in a straightforward manner, and if you're using the multi-factor authentication two-factor to make sure when you log on to the VPN or remote desktop, then you know there's a high, you know, a high chance that it's really the right person doing it. Mm-hmm. You know? And then other things, of course, like uh, you know time task management and customer you know management the CRMs, something like Trello um, or Slack. You know, there's a lot of programs out there, there's just kind of ever growing number of programs out there so that you can coordinate all the tasks and all the work that normally you might do verbally or you might do on the whiteboard that people aren't looking at. Right. You know, in the office because you're all distributed in the field. Right. And then of course time tracking. You know, how do you how do you track the time that people are, are actually working? Right. You know, because it's they're taking breaks in different ways. It's it's not the same kind of formal office structure.
1: Right. Exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, what people are doing while they're working at home. Um, how can technology help with things like sales and service—the basic things you have to do to keep your business going?
2: Well, you, you just mentioned social media. You know, just a minute ago. Um, of, of course, with with Zoom, don't put the password on social media unless you want to invite people into. You know, your. Right. You know, you're um, something really talking about advertising, promoting what's going on in the business, and in that case, you can actually set up. Um, with a like a if you upgrade to a pro account in zoom you can actually set it up so that you remove that password which you know zoom has kind of turned on by default now after all the blowback with right. zoom bombing right right uh, you know so right now is actually the perfect time for social media because people are in a little more relaxed kind of environment working at home and doing some personal at the same time um, and news is continually churning so people are looking for You know kind of updates they're looking for a little bit of kind of uh respite from covid news and people are also looking to learn Mm -hmm. they're you know so your podcast your blog those online classes you know whatever kinds of kind of value you can throw out there with social media whether it's linkedin facebook twitter and so on um that really gets some traction Mm -hmm.
1: Personally, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a LinkedIn fan. You know that I, I prefer LinkedIn for business over over the other social media sites, just because it's more geared toward business. But that's my personal
2: opinion. Yeah, but, LinkedIn uh, truly yeah. is just business. You know, you don't you don't have all the politics in there, and that's you know sometimes that's what we need to just kind of step away from all the politics. Mm-hmm. And then on the service side, you know, um, actually serving your clients and customers you know um and this this is all you know sales knows this you know everybody in sales knows this so you know your your ability to respond quickly with information to help close that deal Mm -hmm. you know to help upgrade you know to help um you know move that in the right direction it's about being able to respond quickly clearly you know um address questions that come up address any kinds of you know kind of resistance that that You know somebody might bring in so you know maybe having a resource portal maybe having some videos maybe having some information that's ready to download so people can get quick access or that so when you're even on the phone with them you can direct them easily there and say okay go right here let me show you now we're both looking at the same page let me show you how this works you know so you know just being able to provide information quick and easy and again going back to the sharing files being able to get information from them maybe from a, um, a shared folder where they can just, you know, upload something instead of, you know, emailing it to you. Um, that makes it, that makes it easier. And that makes, you know, sales more likely to
1: close. Right. Right. Well, how do you know your staff is really working at home? I mean, what can employers do to monitor um, their employees while they're working at home, you know, playing on their computers versus working on their computers, that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, yeah, you can. Well, we can we can send monitors to the home, and we can you know kind of do the the home audit, you know, the the random kind of like the random shopper. They'll just show up at your door and just check and see if you're working, but that's not, that's not very effective, and that sounds pretty expensive. You know, yeah, there's there's a lot of things you can do. There's um, kind of a growing number again of, of software programs that will track time mm-hmm. um, that you can use as kind of like the clock at home, and uh, some of these actually will do screen captures and then some of these kind of go, you know, really to kind of maybe the more extreme side of kind of the big, big brother territory, where it's kind of full on recording of what is going on on their screens, kind of like in the financial investment community where, you know, all those audio calls are being recorded, right? you know, for compliance purposes. You know, um, there are programs that do that if, if that's where you need to go. And then if you don't need to go that extreme, you can do something like, you know, I, I like to use like Hubstaff, mm-hmm. We've used that. HUB, it's used, H-U-B it's, Yeah.
1: Stuff. Hubstaff. Yeah, that's been a great program for us. We've used that.
2: Yeah, and, and it allows you to um, get screenshots every so many seconds so you know that, hey, you know, you can look at the screenshots and see how much time they're spending on Facebook. Um, and even without those screenshots, um, it will kind of give you a list of how much time was spent on um, on, a, on a browser, Mm-hmm. You know how much time the keyboard was active, for example. You these are these are things that can be measured. You don't yeah. have to. Yeah,
1: we could measure things like how much time were they spending in uh, in an Excel, um, working on Excel spreadsheets. How much time was spent working, um, you know, uh, on the uh, doing checking email. I mean, we could see we could see what was actually going on as far as their time on Outlook. You know, um, responding to yeah. emails and things. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and really the great thing is this is a a win-win for both sides, for both the employer and the employee, because it's a tool like Hubstaff makes it really easy for you to track as an employee, you know, where your time's going on different projects. Right. You know, and this is valuable for for you and your boss to, you know, because when you're doing that, you know, kind of project task list, you know, when when you look back and say, hey, here's how much I was spending, and now you're asking me to do all these things, you know, It's taking more time than you think it does you know and and so that's what on the employee side um, this is kind of the data collection that helps you you know kind of um give yourself you know better you know task loading right and and it's really easy just just you know it's so easy to flip through and say right now i'm working on email now i'm working on this spreadsheet now i'm working on you know payroll (laughs) programs or something So it's it's a win win.
1: Yeah, it really is. I know we've been talking about Zoom quite a few times throughout this uh, podcast recording today, but um, you know everybody's on Zoom these days uh, for work, for play, uh, and everything in between. What can you recommend when using something like Zoom to stay secure?
2: Uh, well, first of all, know the program. Mm-hmm. Get kick it around. Get to know the features and the functionality, so that you know what's available. Mm-hmm. And you know, if as possible. Because you may not be using Zoom, excuse me. May not be using Zoom. There's GoToMeeting, there's Skype. And there's actually a lot of alternative platforms to Zoom. There's even open source um video hosting platforms uh, for Zoom. Get to know whatever it is you're going to use, know the tools. Um use passwords as possible. Use turn on the waiting rooms. You know, a waiting room is like that green room. Mm-hmm. Once they log once they get the link, once they log in. Um, they go into the waiting room and you manually let them in. So it kind of depends on on how sensitive your meeting is. You know if you don't want to see them have them see you know a second of your meeting, um, or if you've you know you think you're going to be distracted when you're into your presentation and you're not really monitoring who's popped in, you want to use a waiting room to make sure that people don't pop in um, who aren't truly invited. Um, and if you're using if you're doing like a webinar, where people are gonna register specifically, you know, make the the act of signing up for the Zoom meeting. You can actually make that additional so that they actually sign up for it. And then it, you know, channels them into that waiting room. Right. And they can be let in. You know, so that's something you wanna do. And the other thing is you wanna make sure, you know, when you're hosting that you test out everything you figure out what how do I share a screen (laughs) don't wait until the big meeting right right. whether it's with your own staff and you're gonna embarrass yourself and you know look like you're you know you're you're not ready for this or whether it's with anybody in the public you know know what you're doing so do some trial runs you know, try it out. And, and, and test, out
1: test some music. things like the audio, too, because, for example, someone could be doing a webinar and they may forget that they have the ability to turn off the, the, the sound. You know, you need to mute all your participants. If you've got 150 people or 110 people or even 50 people or 20 people on a, on a meeting um, and you're letting people talking in the background, you know, go at it and you're hearing their conversations and all that, you can't do that. You have to know, you know, where you're going. What, what I always do is I always turn everyone off um, so that only the, only the presenter can actually um, speak um, and turn their audio on and turn everyone else's off and then we use the chat features or after we cover a certain topic then we open it up and let um, questions come in and that sort of thing and answer you know just so you can still have some interaction you want that but then you could turn it back off again and, and and go back to your meeting without all the background because people will constantly forget and they've left their they've left that audio on and they're having a conversation with their kids or whatever and uh, it's it's very distracting and', and yeah, they're
2: they're outside or they're doing yeah. the dishes, you know, yeah. or stepping in the bathroom. I mean, yeah. Nobody needs that.
1: Yeah, That's- I've heard of, I've heard I've heard more than one toilet it's flush one microphone. Yeah, I've it's heard just more just- than one toilet flush during meetings. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it just takes one microphone, you know, to blow it for everybody else. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and again, it's those and you know having that plan ahead of time. This is kind of how I want my meeting to flow. Mm-hmm. You know, so that you you know, like you said, I want to you know have a period where everybody's on mute, and then I'm going to open it up for questions, and then. You know knowing that and explaining that to your audience um, really prepares them just like you know the way i, I talk about using you know this, this video hosting you know services it's just like preparing for a, a real presentation um, i want to s- kind of sketch out in my mind how i want things to flow uh-huh. and and i'm going to tell my audience what i have in mind before i start you know so you want to tell people and if you want to put it in writing that's that's even better so they kind of know ahead of time and they can bring in questions or they know how to participate in in a better way. And the last thing I want to say is, you know, when you're not using it, turn that program off. Yeah. You know. Exit, quit, and you know, you don't it's kind of like pocket dialing with the phone. You you don't need to be making any video unintended video calls right. and having something recorded. Yeah. You know. You don't need that. Right. Um, and it's it's so easy to do. So what I do is I um, number one, I set these programs to not auto-launch on startup. Yeah. Because you know, I'm a privacy guy, so my my Zoom doesn't start automatically, and all those programs when they install, like GoToMeeting, Zoom, and Skype, their default is as soon as Windows launches, these programs are launched in the background waiting. You know, so I I I change that. Yeah. To be manually started, and I I log out after the call. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: that's absolutely. You want to do that for sure. Uh, Lastly, we briefly discussed a lot of concepts and ideas about how to protect your business while employees are working at home, obviously. Uh, What kind of training do you recommend for your staff during these times?
2: Well, you know, we've mentioned it, you know, kind of in different ways here. Um, And and really the basic premise is, you know, when you're not in the office, um, and, and actually really this applies whether in the office or not, if you don't talk about it, people know that it's not important. If it's not measured and you don't talk about it, then they know that you know you talked about it once, you trained me once, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what you talk about frequently is what's important and your kids know this. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if, you, if you give them a rule and you never talk about it again and you talk about everything else, yeah, that wasn't that important. They don't talk about it much. Um, it's not important. So you have to keep bringing this up on some kind of regular basis. With um, the security protocols, reminding people about um, keeping um, kids out of your workspace, keeping family out of your workspace. If you've got a requirement that um, you're working on a work machine only, and there's a possibility they could access it from a home machine, you got to keep reminding people of this. You know this is important. Um, Remind people that when they step away from the computer, to to turn it off or to lock it. You know, um, it's it's a reminder of the protocols. Mm-hmm.
1: Even you know, little even little things like the timeout features and things like that. I mean,
2: the timeout features. You know, and probably the the biggest thing to remind people of because hey, they're at home, um, and it's so easy to kind of get into that home personal mode.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, while you're in the house, and it's and you know, really the the number one avenue of access for hackers, cyber attacks, and so on, is through email. And and these days also growing with phone calls. You know, It's those phishing attempts um, and those attempts at collecting information, the social engineering. So it's those emails that you could click on that you shouldn't have clicked on. So reminding people of the different kind of gambits that are out there now, reminding people to slow down or telling people how to kind of do a second um, verification that it's really the right person, or if they're not sure, who do they call within your organization to say, hey, you know, is this email legitimate? And right. you know, you send me some of those, like, yeah. is, is this legit? You know, I, I I can't tell. And you know, I know what to do and I know what to look for. Well, that's what, so That's what, when in people.
1: doubt, from, from what I do, when in doubt, you know this, Ted, you know me better than anybody else here when it comes to this stuff. When in doubt, ask Ted. That's what I do, I ask I ask my that's IT right.
2: consultant. When, it, when, when in doubt, ask ask your experts. Yeah. And reminding people about this, so again, know if you don't talk about it it's not that important if you keep talking about it they're like okay i get it yeah i get it yeah you know and and really if we look at all of the biggest breaches in all the biggest companies um the vast majority of those came the way they got in the door originally was through an email that somebody clicked on that they shouldn't have right right
1: yeah a lot of a lot of a lot of repetition there we see that all the time um and obviously we do a lot of privacy and security training. And um, I just want to briefly mention in closing today that we're going to be hosting our first ever HIPAA privacy and security training in the fall, virtually for the first time because of COVID-19. And we've never done this. I've always been hesitant to do um, online meetings, um, virtual meetings, because I like having the training. It's a long training generally, and I like doing it in person um, because we can go over a lot more and we can see the faces we can see how they're responding and and we can get into really uh, difficult scenarios. And, and we can, you know, really help them with their specific concerns and that sort of thing. Um, because of the world of COVID-19, we are going virtual. So I just want to mention that, that a DD group is going to be joining me on that is normal. Uh, they, they do this all the time with me. Um, it right. will be October 21st and it's going to go from nine in the morning Pacific time till 2 p.m. So it's what we've done is we're shortening it a little bit. But the cool thing is, is we're going to um, have CE credit, four hours of CE credit for both um, insurance agents um, for health and life agents and we're also going to be having HRCI credit for human resources professionals it will be four hours for both so that's good while you're working at home you can get in some credits as well Um, so it's going to be a little different, it's going to be a little modified quite a bit, we're also going to be talking about some of this stuff, the COVID-19 applications and so forth, technology uh, working from home and this sort of thing so uh, if you want more details on the stuff we're just briefly talking about today, Uh, please go onto our website advancedbenefitconsulting.com and there will be uh, registration there. You can sign up for that training. And, and like I said, you don't have to worry about, Oh, it's too far to drive. or I don't want to deal with traffic anymore because you can just log in from wherever you are.
2: Yeah. And it's really germane to what we're talking about you know, because we're talking about how to be secure um, online, mm-hmm. how to deal with all these f- physical securities, you know, so it's, uh, I think it's appropriate that we're, we're having our first online uh, training course and we'll get to actually um, talk about it, and experience it as we're talking about it.
1: Yes, absolutely, for sure. So, um, okay, if somebody wants to reach you, Ted, how do they do that?
2: Yeah, that's right. People can find us online at adtgroup.com. That's A-D-I-T-I group.com. And there you'll find out about what we can offer for businesses, for your office, and also for home support. So that includes some of the security products that we talked about today. It includes all of the, you know, uh, configuration For the things that we've talked about today for security and privacy, and it also includes um, what we can do as far as managing your network, all of your um, users in a larger company uh, business environment, and we look forward to talking to you either online or at 855-GO-ADITI, that's 855-G-O-A-D-I-T-I, and the number for that, 855-462-3484. And uh, you can ask us for help in lots of different departments, help with, you know, IT service at at the office and IT service at home. Mm -hmm. And we've got a lot of solutions uh, that we talked about here. We've got solutions that, you know, um, deal with creating those secure separate networks at home, securing your Wi-Fi. Um, And also remote support for your staff in the office and the staff that's out in the field, most likely at home right now.
1: And it's I just want to remind people as well, it's not just computers and tablets that we're talking about. Um, A lot of times we have a lot of other devices, and they can do things like securing the phones and and everything else as well. So um, there's more to this than just securing your, your desktop at your office.
2: Yeah, it's everything, electronic. Yes. And it's all electronic these days. Everything,
1: everything. Okay, well, thank you very much. We're out of time here, Ted. Thank you so much for joining me today. And and, uh, this was very helpful, very informative. And I also want to let everyone know that uh, we're going to be having some really great podcasts coming up in Season 2. This, of course, was our kickoff number one uh, podcast in the series. But we're going to have some legislative updates, both on the state of California and also federal updates. I can't do state updates for every state, but I can for California because we're here Um, I'm going to have HR consultant Jacqueline Thorpe talking again from uh, Train Me Today. She was on in season one and was great. And we're going to have her back talking some more about all the sexual harassment training requirements as well as some other hot HR topics. I'm going to be having Larry Thompson from AMPS, which is a reference-based pricing and medical review review organization they have some very interesting um, ways of controlling health plan costs for self-funded plans uh, and, and a lot of other great additional podcasts so please tune in um, you can catch us on of course our website advancedbenefitconsulting.com slash podcasts if you subscribe to any of the normal podcast platforms we're on spotify apple podcasts uh, google podcasts and stitcher We're also going to be posting some show notes from not only this podcast, but from other future podcasts, so you'll be able to check out the show notes with each presentation as well. And most importantly right now, I just want to remind people and let you know that we're thinking of you and remind you to stay safe. We just want you to be healthy, keep your families healthy, uh, and, you know, keep those masks on. And, you know, hopefully if we all do what we're supposed to be doing, we can all get through this and we can all come back to be able to meet in person at some point in the very near future, we hope. So please stay safe. Thanks, everyone.
0: Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Miss Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3. Toll free at 866-658-3835 or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.